42 through 45. Praise God. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Praise God. I am so thankful that Jesus came as a servant. Amen. I am thankful that he came to give his life for us. And I'm going to tell you that when I say I want to be like Jesus, there is a lot to that. That's not just being holy, being separated from the world, but it is in the way that we treat one another, the way we interact with others. Amen. We need the heart of a servant. We need the heart of a servant. Amen. The book of Philippians talks about if, uh, or let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to talk about what that mind was. That he, he uh, came and humbled himself and as a servant offered himself. That's the mind that was in Christ. And that's the mind that needs to be in us. It's not about how far we can be exalted above others. It's not about what position we can achieve. And uh, I've said this before, and I know you're standing, but this is one of the things that troubles me in my efforts in Africa, is that I see that titles and positions become everything. And it really is a matter of pride. There's no other way to look at it. Uh, as they start trying to build themselves. I've, I've told them, you know, I, I believe that the office of prophet is still in the world today. I believe that. But I don't believe that a prophet has to go around announcing I'm a prophet. And I'm afraid too many people just take on the title so they can impress others. But just because you call yourself a prophet does not mean you are one. Now, those who like to use the title apostle, I'm a little nervous with that. Uh, I do believe there are apostles today. And I, I believe that if we're going to use it in the biblical sense, the word apostle simply means one who is sent forth. And uh, it really has a connotation of being sent forth into new places to, to pioneer a work, to spread the gospel into new places, taking it out of your home area somewhere else. That's what a biblical apostle was. The reason I am hesitant at the use of that term is because some folks, by using it, put it on the same level as the 12 apostles. And uh, there is no one that's going to attain to that level because these men were hand-chosen by the Lord and they were used to write infallible scripture. 
and no man alive today can write infallible scripture. We can't add to the word of God. So it's, uh, it's kind of a dangerous thing, I think, to just start pinning the title apostle on yourself. And uh, though I do believe, as I said, that there are apostles, just not like the twelve. I think it's a little different, and uh, we do even see the term apostle being used for others besides the twelve in the in the book of Acts. And uh, honestly, I think I think missionaries fill the role of apostles. I really do, and uh, but yet because of the confusion, I don't generally call them apostles. So anyhow, I don't know why I got off on all that, but. Uh, we just need to be careful. We want to make sure we have a servant's heart, not not trying to exalt ourselves and not trying to be a lord over others, but understand who the Lord is and then spend our time serving him by serving others. Praise God. Well, that's lesson number one this morning, and we'll get into lesson number two here in a moment after we pray. Why don't we... Lift our hands to the Lord. Let's ask God to talk to us. I believe he wants to talk to us today. Let's everybody open our hearts to the Lord. Let's tune in to where the Spirit is this morning and let God have his way in this service. Praise God. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's talk to the Lord. Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name let's let's worship him a little bit here this morning I feel the touch of the Holy Ghost in this place let's worship him let's worship him praise God praise God praise God I love you Jesus I love you Jesus praise the name of the Lord praise the name of the Lord God bless you you may be seated um, for time's sake, and because I'm trying to cover a lot of ground, I will again forego the in-depth review and instead just bring you up to speed with where we are in chapter 3 of the book of Mark. Uh, we have tried for the last two lessons, actually, to deal with the choosing of the twelve, and uh, both times that we've gotten to that point... Um, other things have happened, and the Lord has moved in, and uh, you'd think something as simple as choosing 12 apostles, you could just mention it and move on, but it's not quite that easy, and there is yet ground to be covered in the subject of the choosing of the 12, and so that's where, the Lord willing, we're going to spend our time here this morning. I want to go back and we're going to start with verses 14 and 15 again. Same two verses we've used now for a couple of weeks. But we want to go back there again just to bring us all to the same place. Uh, Mark chapter 3 verses 
14 and 15. Let's read. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Now, we talked about uh, the reason why he chose 12. We talked about, in fact, we've talked about a number of things. We talked about the fact that he chose them and how that God chooses us. We don't choose God. He chooses us. And the very fact that you're sitting in church this morning speaks of God's love for you. It really is far deeper than you just deciding you wanted to be in church. And I believe God draws people to church. I believe God calls them to church. And what you thought was just an idea in your mind that you wanted to be in church was really the calling and drawing of the Spirit of God. God wanted you here today. And if he wanted you here, it's because he sees value in your life. And he has plans for your life. Hallelujah. Praise God. We've talked about that. We talked about in our last lesson why did the Lord choose 12 apostles. And uh, we spent quite a bit of time on that, in fact. Talked a little bit about biblical numerology, how that certain numbers represent certain things in the scripture. The number one being the number of God, because here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He's not three in one, he is one. God is not a trinity. God is one. Well, praise God. And, uh, and so we talked about the number six is the number of man. Four is the number of the earth. I don't know how many of these we went through, but they're not really that important. I'm just trying to show you that when you see certain numbers, many times they are there for a reason. The number seven, God's number of completion. Uh, some people say God's perfect number, but it's, it's really God's number of completion. It is perfection only in the biblical sense. The biblical sense of perfection is not flawlessness. The biblical sense of perfection is completion, maturity. Hallelujah. And that is, uh, that is what the number seven represents. The number 12 also uh, is representative. And I don't know if you remember what we talked about. We spent a good deal of time talking about what 12 represents. It is the number of authority. We went through that. There were 12 tribes uh, that were based upon t 12 men who had authority over that tribe. And, and the number 12, we talked about how even uh, the New Jerusalem just is full of 12s. And, uh, and, and it is a place, it is the seat of God's authority. And then talked about the church uh, being the spiritual Jerusalem, the seat of God's authority on earth and so we discussed that we talked about him choosing 12 because the apostles those men that are chosen for ministry have God's authority talked about this Thursday night even uh, God spoke to Zerubbabel and said I will make you a signet the signet being the sign of authority God gives authority to his men. Well, praise God. There should be a stronger amen to that, uh, but it's the truth anyhow. God gives authority to his men. 
And I'm going to tell you, I don't have time to get into it today, but I'm telling you that the kingdom of God is dependent upon authority. It will only go forward as we learn to submit ourselves to authority. A lot of people like to have authority, but they don't like to be under authority. That's right. They don't mind telling everybody else what to do, but they don't want anybody telling them what to do. Uh, that's another lesson. I don't have time to get into that. But anyhow, I want to show you something. God gives his men authority, but I want to show you something. There is something that precedes being granted authority. Now, we look at these verses. We look at verse 15. They had power or they had authority to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. They had authority. But that authority was based upon something in the previous verse. Look at verse 14 again. This is Bible study time. You should have your Bible open. Look at verse 14 again. Read that for me if you would, Brother Brandon. He ordained 12. He ordained 12. That they should be, that with, they should be with him. That's the first responsibility. The first responsibility is not preaching. It's not healing the sick. It's not casting out devils. The first responsibility is not teaching Sunday school or teaching Bible studies or singing or playing instruments. The first responsibility is that we should be with him. Whether we are preacher or saint, I'm telling you, our number one obligation ought to be, I want to spend time with the master. The only way these men were going to be what they needed to be was if they would spend time with him. He didn't just get them together and say, all right, you preachers, get out there and do good work. And when he saves us, he doesn't just say, okay, you're a saint. Now get out there and live for me. No, I'm telling you our first obligation, our first responsibility is to spend time with him. The apostles recognized this. In fact, you'll, you'll remember in Acts chapter 6, the great controversy that arose because some of the Greek converts felt like their widows were not being taken care of and felt like the apostles ought to spend more time dealing with their widows. And, and Peter came back and said, no, 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 this is not the way God wants it to be. He said, choose you out some men that are full of the Holy Ghost, good report, and let them take care of these menial things. But he said, here's our obligation. And this is Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. But we will give ourselves... We will give ourselves continually, continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We are going to give ourselves continually. Our number one obligation is to spend time with him. Whether it's in prayer or in study of the scripture, that's our responsibility. Are you hearing me, saints? I'm not talking about showing up for church a few times a week. That's important. That's necessary. That's essential. But I'm going to tell you, there is something 
far, far more important than that. If all you do is show up for church once in a while, you're not getting anywhere spiritually. You've got to learn to spend time with him. I want to ask you husbands and wives, what kind of relationship would you have if you never spend time with one another? That's why a lot of marriages fail. Because one or both parties are far more interested in, in their careers or in their entertainment or whatever, even sometimes in their children. But if you want to develop a relationship, you spend time with one another. Look, how did you get married in the first place? You just send a text message, say, look, I know we never get together, we never talk, but I sure would like for you to marry me. I don't think it worked that way. If it did, it probably didn't last. But what happened was you started spending time together. And the more time that you spent together, the more time you wanted to spend together. Well, hallelujah. That's what happens in our relationship with the Lord. I know that we've got to do a lot of crucifying of the flesh to get into the habit of prayer. But I'm going to tell you, the more time you spend with him, the more time you want to spend with him. The more you feel his presence, the more he talks to you, the more you learn things from the word, the more you want to learn, the more you want to hear from him, the more you want to feel his touch. We can never forget that our first obligation as people of God, not just preachers, but as people of God, our first obligation is that we spend time with him. If you want authority, you'll get it by spending time with him, getting close to him. Well, praise God. Now look, I, I find it interesting. Now that, well, thank you. Hallelujah. Get a little back up here this morning. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Uh, I find it interesting that when Jesus called them, he stated that he stated this was the first obligation. He said he he ordained them that they might be or that they should be with him. That was the first thing he listed. Then the apostles, when things began to, 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 to get extremely busy and extremely hectic, the apostles recognized among themselves, this is our first obligation, that we spend time with him. And then what I find interesting is that the crowd those on the outside, what they recognized about the apostles says volumes. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They marveled. They said these are unlearned and ignorant men. Now, let me just set the record straight. The Bible does not say that Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant. It says that the 
others perceived them to be unlearned and ignorant. It was the way the crowd looked at them. And, and no doubt they considered them unlearned and ignorant because they weren't following the teachings of the rabbis. It doesn't mean that they were a couple of dummies. But here's what it says. They marveled at them. And what did they marvel? And what did they take knowledge of? That these men are excellent preachers. No. That these men can cast out devils. No. They took knowledge of them that they'd been spending time with Jesus. I just got a feeling, Brother Sisler, that the reason they took knowledge they'd been with Jesus is because they're acting more like him. They're talking more like him. They're sounding more like him. They're looking more like him. That's what happens when you spend time with someone else. You start picking up their little uh, phrases, catchphrases they use. You, you, you kind of pick up, if they've got an accent, before long you realize you're using that same accent. It's, it's kind of bled off on you. And, 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 and things just begin to happen as you spend more and more time with someone. You become more and more like them. Right. For good or bad, the more time you spend with somebody, the more like them you become. It just happens. It's a part of relationship. You start thinking more like they think. That's why you hear some couples talk about, you know, we've been married a while, and now she can finish my sentences for me, or he can, you know, he, he can tell me what I'm about to say. And well, How does that happen? That's not mind reading. It's because you have come to know one another so well. And how did that happen? Not by long absences, but by spending time together. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, this is what the sinners recognized about these men was that they had been with Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, if there's anything I want the world to say about me, I want them to be able to look at me and say, that man spends time with the Lord. I don't care. I don't care if I never preach another conference. I don't care if nobody ever asked me to speak in another church. That's not important, but what's important to me is I want others to look at my life and say, that man spends time with the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to hear that more than I want to hear, well, he's a great pastor, or he's a good preacher. I want to hear that man's a Christian. He is Christ-like. He has spent time with the Master. Oh, praise God. Praise God. They didn't notice that they were apostles. They noticed that they'd been with Jesus. And I'm telling you, when Jesus ordained them, the first thing was they should be with him. Then that they should preach and heal the sick and cast out devils. But all of that came secondary to the relationship that was necessary first.
All right, so let, let's, let's look at these men. Let's look at the 12. Um, and, and this is, you know, I, I, I suppose that some folks say, well, preacher, you know, we know who the apostles are and why. why, why. Well, well, first of all, do you really? I've, I've never ceased to be amazed at the number of people who could tell you who the latest MVP is most valuable player or name, you know, everybody on a certain team. They can tell you uh, how many runs batted in and how many, all that. I don't follow any of that, so I don't really know what I'm talking about now. But but they know, you know, the football players, uh, they know all the stats. They can name them. They, they can tell you all about them. But ask them who the 12 apostles are. And many times they'll say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John which um, Mark and Luke were not part of the 12. They got two right. That's not really very good. Um, so do we really know who these men were? Do we really know much about them? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time dealing with who they were. There are some other things I do want to go through the list. I think it's good for us. I think it's good for us to see who God chose but I also want to talk about something that's mentioned as, as we go through this list of names. There's something that jumped out at me, and I want to talk about that. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boagernes, Boagernes which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house. All right, now, he goes through this list, and he, he tells us Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, there's another James there. Um, then there is Thaddeus, and there is another Simon, and there is Judas. And so these are the 12. But here's what, here's what caught my attention. Verse 16, read it again. And Simon, and Simon he, surnamed he surnamed Peter. I want to talk about that. Now, I'm about to get ahead of myself, so because I may end up getting stuck right there for a little while here. So before I do, let me say this. These were not the elite. When God chose 12 men, you understand the importance of these 12. You understand he knew full well that his ministry on earth was going to be short and that he was only going to plant the seed for a church. But the men he chose would carry the responsibility and the obligation to raise that church up, to point it in the right direction. Now that's a lot of responsibility. But he didn't go around choosing the elite. He didn't go around and ask for their pedigree. He didn't walk into their offices to see how many degrees they had. They were not men of wealth. So they couldn't bribe others to follow them. Um, 
they were not going to be able to entice others by their art or their talents. They weren't men of rank or office that could compel people to come along. They were just men. Just men. Just average, ordinary, plain men. Men with good sense, men with fair character, men of great honesty. Because those are the kind of men everybody believes. I don't think the Lord went around looking for liars and cheats. People who always kind of play with the truth, you know. You've met those folks. They know how to tell you just enough to make you believe something. That's not, kind of, that's not the kind of people Jesus chose. Now, these men were not perfect. They weren't perfect, but they were ordinary men. And that's the way God works. And I'm telling you, that's really the way he builds his church. The devil sometimes likes to beat people down and say, well, you know, who do you think you are? You, you don't belong in the church. You're nobody. I want you to listen to what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many... Now, he didn't say not any. He didn't say not any. But he said not many wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called, are called chosen the foolish but thing. God chose the foolish things of the world, of the world to, confound, to the confound the wise. And God, and chose, God the chose the weak things of the world, of the world to, confound the, to confound the mighty. And base things of the, the world, base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Uh-huh. And things which are not things which are not bring to not to bring to not things that are the things that are no why so that no flesh should glory in his presence. God doesn't make it a habit of bringing about or bringing to conversion the most powerful, the most wealthy, the most intellectual, though the the offer extends to them as well as it does anybody else. But I'm going to tell you, if they come into the truth, they're going to have to humble themselves and understand their wealth, their intelligence, their rank, whatever, means nothing to God. Somebody said the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Well, praise God. And so, so what God chooses to do is to reach down to the nobodies, to reach down to those that, that, uh, that don't have anything to glory in so that when they come in, they've got a praise on their lips. The only reason I'm here is because God was merciful to me. I don't deserve it. I don't belong here. But God had mercy and God's grace brought me into the truth. I could be sitting somewhere else right now. I could be in false doctrine right now. I could be a total heathen right now. But God was merciful to me and reached down and led me into the truth. And so I've got nothing to glory in except in him. And that's what he wants. Many times as one of people, we quote the scripture that says that God will not share his glory with another. And we use that to mean another God. But that's not that's not the full context of what he's saying. God's not going to share his glory with anybody. 
And I'm telling you, that's why sometimes God's let, God lets situations go beyond our ability to fix them before he steps in. That's why. And, and let me just tell you, there are situations that God would like to fix for some of you. But you still got your hands on them. And you're still trying to fix it. And the reason God's not helping you fix it is because when it's all said and done, you might turn around and say, I did it. But if it reaches a point where Lazarus has been in the grave for four days, ain't nobody going to say, I did that. God's going to get the glory. Well, praise God, when that ship is about to sink and the apostles are rowing with everything they've got and all of a sudden at, at just a few words, the sun comes out and the storm stops and the waves settle down, those apostles are not going to be at the other side saying, man, we fought that one, didn't we? No, 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 they're giving glory to God. And I'm telling you, that's why God lets some things seem like they get totally out of hand and God doesn't step in when you think he ought to step in. Because he wants to make sure you know he's the one who took care of this. He wants the glory and deserves the glory in it all. Now, let me tell you, with that in mind, let me go to where I wanted to go a moment ago. Read, read for me that first, the first verse of that again. That was, uh, that, that was verse uh, 16. Read for me verse 16. And Simon, he surnamed Peter. And Simon, now he chose Simon. He chose Simon. But he surnamed him Peter. Surname, you know, I, I've, I've come in contact with this a lot in my dealings in Africa. There, you, they don't ask you what's your last name. They ask you what's your surname. And, uh, and that's really what a surname is. It's, it's the name that sticks with you. It's handed down through the generations and along the family lines. That's a surname. This is the name that's going to be permanent. And I want to tell you that Jesus looked at Simon and gave him a surname. And the surname he gave him was Peter. Now, his name's Simon, but Jesus said, I'm going to call you a rock. Let me, let me tell you something, church. Simon was anything but a rock. A rock is solid. A rock is immovable. A rock is unchangeable. That's not Simon. But Jesus said, I'm going to call you that. Well, praise God. Simon was rash. Simon was impetuous. Simon was unstable. That's right. But Jesus said, I'm giving you a new name. I'm giving you a new name. Look, we've, we see it all through the Gospels. We see Simon always speaking up, always running his mouth, if you please, saying things, getting himself in trouble. At one point, even having the Lord turn around and call him the devil. Well, that run a lot of folks off. 
That's right. There are some of you sitting in this building right now that if you sat in my office and I looked at you, you said, you're a devil. You said, that's the last time I ever go to that church. But Jesus didn't just call Simon a devil. He called him Satan. The prince of the devils. Well, that'd sure run him off, wouldn't it? Simon was so quick to say and do whatever. When Jesus died, we find Simon out fishing naked. And he wasn't a rock until God filled him with the Holy Ghost. He was impetuous. Let me just throw this in. This came to me. I was, I was praying earlier this week, and, and this thought came to me. And, and I want to just throw this in. Simon was impetuous. Impetuousness is not the equivalent of strength. Now, I don't know. I, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying because I felt this this week, and I, I felt like it was for this lesson, so I want to make sure I get it across. Being quick to jump on things does not prove how strong you are. Sometimes real strength requires patience. Sometimes real strength means keeping yourself in check. Look, I've, I've, had folks, I've had folks criticize me because they knew something was going on and I didn't just get up and jump on it. At least they didn't think I did. First of all, they don't know what I've dealt with privately. So be careful about criticizing that it hadn't been dealt with. Secondly, understand this, that sometimes you have to wait on God's timing. Sometimes you don't just jump on everything that moves. I'm telling you, I've got a good friend. Thank God, thank God he, he has, has made some adjustments. But I've got a good friend that almost destroyed a church because he got wind that something was going on, got up behind the pulpit and blasted it, and afterwards found out the rest of the story. Almost destroyed some folks. Being impetuous, being quick to jump, being quick to, to, to address things is not a sign of strength. Sometimes it's a sign of weakness. Well, I'm not getting much response here this morning. But it's the truth. Sometimes we've got to wait until God says now. That's why we need to spend time with him. That's why we need to spend time with him. Praise God. And I'm telling you, even parents, you know, sometimes parents can get so impetuous in dealing with their kids. And, and what happens is you create questions in their mind because today it's wrong because you're in a bad mood. But tomorrow it's okay and you laugh at it. And all you've done is send mixed signals to those kids, and they have no idea what's right and wrong. So don't go around talking about what a tough parent you are just because you're impetuous, just because you're quick to jump. That doesn't prove anything except really there's a lack of stability. More than anything, children and all of us need stability. We need consistency. I, you know, I've done my best in the last 21 years to maintain a consistent standard. I had friends that would get up and preach against things. 
that I, I didn't jump on that bandwagon immediately. I wanted to check it out. I wanted to pray about it. Because once I made a stand, I didn't want to back down from that stand. I, I had friends, you know, when the internet first started getting popular, they were getting up in their pulpits preaching against you can't have it, you can't have it, don't have it in your home, don't use it, you can't. And now there are people whose entire business depends on the internet. Now, I didn't get up and preach against it when some of my friends were. I said, let's wait. Let's check it out. Let's see. Well, praise God. Now, there have been times that I've come back and adjusted and made things tighter. But I don't ever want to come back and loosen up. So once you start in that direction, it's a downhill slope. So I'd rather be certain this is a stand we're going to hold to. Well, I just want to tell you, Peter, Peter was not a rock when God called him. And yet God called him that. He was impetuous. Look, let me, I, I just want to throw this in and I'm going to move on from that. But Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Don't forget this. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Love, joy, peace. What? What? Long-suffering. Long-suffering. Putting up with things. Waiting. Watching. Praying. Considering. That's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Jumping on every little thing that moves is not long-suffering. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of some people just refuse to control their temper. And then blame it on the temper. But I'm going to tell you, if you lose your temper, you need, you need more of the fruit of the Spirit. You need some peace. You need some long-suffering. You need gentleness. You need meekness. You need temperance, which is self-control. I said it the other day. I say again, there are some people that are asking God for deliverance when really all they need is discipline. They just need to learn some self-control. Well, praise God. I know we're not jumping shouting today, but I am telling you what I feel on my heart. I, now look, Peter was impetuous. Peter was quick on the trigger. He was quick, but he wasn't a rock. He wasn't strong until after Pentecost. And then after Pentecost, it didn't matter what happened. It didn't matter what was said. It didn't matter what was done. If they threw him in jail, if they beat him, if they did whatever they wanted to do, Peter was consistent. You see, the Lord doesn't call people because of who they are or what they are, but he calls them based on what he can make out of them. Peter or Simon was not a rock when he was called, but before the Lord got through with him, he became a rock. Now that ought to encourage every one of us, because I'm telling you, there is hope if we'll just spend some time with the Master. We may not be what we want to be right now, but we can 
be what he wants us to be. He can look at us and see things in us we don't see in ourselves. He can see a future for us that we could never imagine. Oh, praise God. I'm telling you this morning, God wants you to understand that you may not be a rock this morning, but by his help and by his grace, he can make you one. So he called Simon, but he said, I'm giving you a different name. Your name is Rock. Hallelujah. The Bible says that God calleth those things that be not as though they were. Because once God calls them that, the wheels start in motion. The process begins. Look, this, Peter's not the only one God ever did this to. Let's go over to Judges chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Judges 6, verses 11 and 12. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah. Uh-huh. That pertained unto Joash. The, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever that is, yeah. He was one of those, read. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press. Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press. Why? To hide it from the... He was hiding from the enemy. Now get this picture. You see what was happening? If, if you're caught up on your Bible reading... It hadn't been that long ago you read this story, but the Midianites have been coming down at, at harvest time and stealing all the crops, and, and the Israelites would work all year long and try to raise a crop, and, and the Midianites would come down and take it away from them, and, and they would lose. And it was because they weren't right with God. God was allowing this to happen. We talked about that on Thursday night. God allows things to happen to get our attention. And God was trying to get the attention of Israel, and he got their attention, and they started crying out, God, deliver us. Now, here's a man that's hiding from the enemy. He doesn't want to face them. He doesn't want to deal with them. So he's got his, he, he's got his little uh, wheat over here, and he's hiding behind the wine press, and he's trying to thresh the wheat so that nobody can see he's got it. He's scared. All right? You got that? He's scared. But let's read on. And the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, said to him and said to him, The Lord is with thee. The Lord is with thee. Thou mighty man of valor. You wimp. You scaredy cat. You coward. No. The Lord is with thee. Thou mighty man of valor. Now I'm going to tell you, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen when the angel said it. Right? You, you've read the story. You remember? Even when God said, I'm going to go with you, he said, well, now, Lord, if this is true, you know, I'd really like for the fleece to be wet and the ground dry. And God did that. And he said, well, I'd like for the ground to be wet and the fleece dry. And God did that. And then he still asked for more signs. And finally the Lord said, get down there to the camp and listen to what they're saying. And he got down there and said, man, I had a dream. And the other said, I'll interpret the dream. It's Gideon. And he's going to overthrow us. And finally something happened to Gideon's backbone. And he went back home and said, brethren, we're about to win a war. Now I'm telling you, it took time. It took God's patience. But God took that and made a man of valor out of him. 
In fact, I'm telling you, when you realize here is 32,000 men at his command, and God says, there's too many. 22,000 walk away because they're all afraid. So now he's looking at 10,000 men. Still a pretty good army. God said, nah, it's still too many. Send them down to the water. Let's see what they do. 300 men are left. Now that's not nearly as impressive as 32,000. Right? I mean, I mean, one-tenth of 32,000 would be 3,200. He didn't get one-tenth. He got less than 1%. More than 99% of his army left him. But Gideon did not back down. I'm telling you, somewhere between that visitation behind the wine press and his march upon the Midianites, God took that coward and turned him into a mighty man of valor. I'm just, I, I feel like telling somebody here today, it doesn't matter what you are, if you're willing to submit yourself to the Spirit, God can give you a new surname in this very service. God can look down at you and say you're not what you used to be. But beginning this day, I'm working in your life. Beginning this day, I'm going to start doing something to bring about some changes. You're going to end up a lot different than the way you started out. Oh, please, I feel this today. Somebody needs to hear this preacher. I'm telling you, quit looking at what you are. Quit looking at your past. Quit looking at your failures. And understand God sees something in you or you wouldn't be here today. And God is ready to put a new name on your life and to give you some hope and to use you in ways you never dreamed imaginable. Oh, praise God. <laughs> Simon, you got lots of problems right now, but I'm not finished with you. Gideon, man, you, you, you're really weak, but, but I'm not finished with you. Hallelujah. I'm glad the Lord looked at me one day and said, Brother, uh, there's a lot to work on here, but if you'll let me, I'm going to put you on the wheel, and I'm going to do some things, and I'm going to take you through some troubles, and I'm going to put you through some tests, and I'm going to let you feel the fire, but I plan to use you. I, I, I'm telling you, brother, sister, and, 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 and I know you and, and this church understands, I'm not in any way bragging. I'm not, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. But I'm going to tell you, the very thought hit me again the other day. Brother Howard is a man that has preached all over the world. He's seen everything. He's seen God do all kinds of things, raised in a very powerful church that was full of miracles. He's seen miracles, but he said to me, what is going on in Africa is the greatest revival of our time. And I think, God, who am I that I should be involved in that kind of a revival? I'm nobody. I'm nothing. But I'm telling you, God must see something in this worthless piece of flesh. God must see something. And if God did it for me, he can do it for anybody in this building. God can take you where you are and start making something better out of you. The devil wants to keep reminding you what you are. I believe that was Gideon's whole problem. Every time God said, I'm going to use you, Gideon saying, me? Me? Who am I? You remember King Saul? The prophet said, you're going to become king. And they got ready. 
to crown him, to anoint him. And they couldn't find him anywhere. He was out hiding among the stuff. Now he changed later, and that's one of the dangers when God starts blessing people. God starts using people, and I've seen it time and again. I've seen people come into the church and have absolutely nothing. And after they've been in church for a while, God starts blessing them, God starts changing them, and then they forget where they came from. And they forget what a wretch they were when God saved them. And before long, they're right back out there in all of that mess again. That's the danger of all of this. And that's what happened to Saul. In fact, God said to him, when you were little in your eyes, I chose you. But you're not little in your own eyes anymore. You're, if I could give you the rig and revised version, God said, Saul, you're too big for your britches. And so I'm taking the kingdom away from you. You're not nearly as good as you think you are. The only reason you're king is because I chose you. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't ever want to forget. I'm thankful for what God's done. I'm thankful for what God's doing. I am so thankful. I am so honored. I am so humbled that God is letting me be a part of such a tremendous revival. But I don't ever want to forget. It's not me. It's not me. It's him. He's the one that's doing this. I'm not doing it. I can't give a person a revelation. I can't open their eyes to truth. I can teach them scripture. I can show them what the Bible says, but I can't make them see. Only God is able to do that. Hallelujah. I don't ever want to forget it. I don't ever want to forget it. Saints of God, I want to tell you something today. It doesn't matter what condition you are in right now. You need to put your lives in the hands of the master and say, God, just do with me what you want. I don't care where you want to take me. I don't care what you want to do to me. Mold me, make me, shape me. You see things I cannot see. Sometimes we got to lay aside our dreams and our plans. You know, before we got in church, which, which I, I, I prayed through at the age of 12, um, but I remember as a young boy, for years as a young boy, telling everybody, all of my relatives, all of my family, I'm going to be a millionaire one day. That was my plan. That was my dream. That was my goal. I'm going to be a millionaire one day. Well, God had other plans, and I'm far from a millionaire. And when I get over to the other side, I will be a millionaire. But right now, a long ways from it. And really don't ever have any desire to get there, Brother Sisler. I'm being honest. I don't ever want to get there. Now, I won't refuse it if God sends it. But that's not my goal in life. You understand? That's not what I'm striving for. The only thing I want right now is for... God to look down and smile upon me. I want to find favor in his sight. And if I struggle for every meal that I eat, that's okay, God. If I don't know how I'm going to pay the light bill next week, that's okay, God. I'm in your care. You're going to do something with my life. That's all that matters. You see the Gideon that I am. You see the Simon that I am. But for some reason, you chose to give me a new surname. And I'm thankful for it, God. And I'm telling everybody in this building today and everybody that might listen to this message over the internet or, or, or 
download it or whatever. Anytime, I want to tell you, I want to tell you that God can take your life and make things you never dreamed of. He can do it. He can do it. He can do it. Oh, hallelujah. And so he, Lord, my, I'm, I'm nearly out of time. I've got, I've got to at least finish this part. Uh, he surnamed Simon Peter. Gave him a new name. Now, we're going to go on down, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I really want to, I want to get on uh, a little bit farther here this morning. I've got just a few minutes left, but, but Peter's not the only one that he surnamed. He's not the only one that he gave a new name to. Uh, but he gave a new name to another couple of guys that um, it was because of a different reason altogether. Uh, read verse 17 for me. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed Biagenes, yeah, which is the sons of thunder. So he said, now these two guys, I'm calling them the sons of thunder. I don't think, Brother Brandon, that that was because of that's what they would become. I think he had a whole different purpose in that. I think he was trying to help them realize what they were. Sometimes people don't know the condition they're in. And I, I find it interesting, and, and I've I dealt with this in the book of Matthew, I'm, so I'm not going to spend time on it, but I do find it interesting that he called them the sons of thunder. So they're really not even, he's really not even talking about them. He's talking about a parent. Your parent is thunder. But here's the interesting thing. Other than listing Zebedee as their father, we never read about Zebedee doing anything. We never read about Zebedee saying anything. So I find it hard to think that Jesus was referring to Zebedee as thunder. But here's what I do find in Matthew 20, verses 20 and 21. Then came to him the mother of the mother. children. Uh-huh. With her sons, worshiping him and uh -huh. desiring a certain thing of him. Uh-huh. Their mother came, all right? And Read. He, and he said to her, What wilt thou? What do you want? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit. I want you to put my two sons. The one on thy right hand. One on your right hand. The other on the left. And the other on the left. In thy kingdom. It wasn't the dad that asked for this. So I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. I just find it hard to believe that Jesus thought of Zebedee as thunder. That only leaves one other person. <laughs> and I think maybe in, in giving them this surname, because you see, her desire was exalt my children. I want them to be seen. I want them to be noticed. I want them to have places of prominence. And I think the Lord wanted to ever keep it before the eyes of James and John. Don't get the attitude your mama's got. Now, we do find them later. They're the ones who come back and say, Lord, look, there's somebody over here. We need to just call down fire from heaven on them. They, they still had that edge that had been handed down from Mama Thunder. We've all met 
some of those, haven't we? You, you, you work in a Christian school very long, and you'll sure meet quite a few mama thunders. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, I'm going to lose my whole crowd, and, or half the crowd anyhow. The men are secretly snickering and um, afraid to say amen too loud, so I better just move on. Praise God. Because <laughs> they may have to go home and face thunder this afternoon. So we, we, we better just move on from that point right now. But, but um, hallelujah. <sighs> so so let's, let's, let's go to the next. Let's go on to the next. Um, the next one that I want to point out in this group, and that is uh, verse 19. Read. And Judas is scared which also betrayed him, and they went into now, an house. So, so Simon, he surnamed Peter. He surnamed James and John, the sons of thunder. Now, this is not a surname, but it is an identifier. Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. He wasn't called the betrayer. That wasn't the name the Lord gave him. This was written after the fact, which betrayed him. That's past tense. It's written after he became a betrayer. Now, I don't believe, I don't believe that Judas was predestined to betray the Lord. Although the Lord knew from the beginning. John 6 and 64. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from Jesus the beginning, knew from the beginning who, they were that who they were that believed not and who, and who should betray him. He knew when he called Judas what Judas would become. Not what Judas was, but what he would become. Now look, Peter, James, and John, the three that were given positive or given surnames, not positive in James and John's case, but that were given surnames, Peter, James, and John. Isn't it amazing? Those are the three that when the Lord wanted to get apart to pray, when he wanted to go to a secluded place, it was Peter, James, and John that would be the closest to him. They were the ones that really drew close to the Lord. Judas is another story. Judas is always thinking things different from the Lord. While Jesus is relishing the fact that the woman broke the alabaster box and poured the ointment on his feet, Judas is mad. She's wasting money. We could give that to the poor. And I'm going to tell you, Judas didn't care about the poor. Judas cared about himself. It's like, you know, the, the, the cruise that, that we, we've done to try to raise money for A to Z. There was another preacher that was also serving as a tour host and and I was, we were kidding back and forth among some others. And I was telling people, look, if you'll, if you'll sign up under me, then the money goes to missions. And, and my preacher friend said, well, if you'll sign up under me, it'll go to, to a poor preacher and his, his family. Hallelujah. <laughs> the only poor person Judas cared about was himself. Now, that's not the case of my friend, all right? Make that clear. He was just kidding. But, but, but Judas, the only poor person Judas cared about was himself. 
And that's why he snuck away and made deals with the chief priests. It wasn't so he could help the poor. It's so he could help himself. What an opportunity Judas had. But I'm going to tell you something. The positive side of this is the Lord knew that Judas would fail him. The Lord knew that Judas would betray him. And yet the Lord chose him anyhow. I'm convinced that Jesus saw something in Judas. Judas was given an office. You remember up in the upper room, they're praying, and, and, and they're saying, look, we've got to find somebody to take his office. He was given an office, given a position. The Lord saw something, and here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't matter where you've been and what you've done. If God brought you here today, I'm telling you, God sees something in you. He even picked somebody he knew would ultimately betray him. Sometimes, sometimes people sit back and say, I can't go to the altar. I just don't think I'm going to make it. Look, why don't you give God a chance to decide if you're going to make it or not? Why don't you give God a chance to make some changes in your life? Quit predetermining you can't live for God and give God the opportunity to show you what he can do when the two of you get linked up together. I've had people say, I tried it before and it didn't work. Well, try again. The difference between failing and being a failure is whether you try again. Somebody said that Thomas Edison tried over 900 different things to try to create a light bulb. But he didn't give up. He said, I now know 900 things that don't work. But I'm going to find something that does. And that ought to be our attitude of living for God. All right, I tried it this way. It didn't work. I'm going to try something else. But I'm going to make it. I'm not giving up. I'm not walking away. I'm not turning around. Come on. When you fail, the devil wants to hang it over your head and say, see what a sorry, no good for nothing you are. But I'm going to tell you, you may be a sorry, no good for nothing, but that doesn't mean God doesn't love you and that God can't make something positive and something good out of you. Until you throw it back in the devil's face and say, that might be true, but I've never done what Judas did, and Jesus still chose him. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God can take anybody and make something out of them. It's not about whether he wants to. Don't let the devil tell you that God chooses not to. You wouldn't be here today if God didn't still have plans for your life. And you might be surprised what God will make out of you if you'll give him the chance. Judas didn't become a crook overnight. Judas didn't become greedy overnight. Judas didn't become dishonest and a betrayer and a traitor overnight. I just got a feeling, Brother Jared, those things were in his character when the Lord called him. But he also called the sons of thunder, and he also called the impetuous Simon. 
Oh, hallelujah. It's not about what you are and who you are and what you've done. It's about whether or not you're willing to lay your life on the altar and say, God, you make something out of me. God is the only one who has ever made something out of nothing. The greatest inventors of the world, the greatest creators, if you want to call them that, in the world, in the history of mankind, had to have something to create with. But God didn't. God stepped out into nothingness and simply said, let there be, and there was. And I'm telling you, God can look at your life and you say, I'm nothing. That's all right. God knows how to speak the word into your life and take that nothing and make something out of it. All right, all right. I got 10 minutes left. Let me... Verse 20, Mark 3 and 20. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to get down to that passage so... That's the only thing I have left to deal with in chapter 3. So verse 20, Mark 3 and 20. Are we there? You got it? And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. Now, in my opinion, I don't think Mark was saying they didn't have room to eat. I think he was saying that they were so occupied with teaching, preaching, healing, helping, that they didn't have the time The multitude came together so that they could not so much as eat bread. I don't think it's talking about the size of the crowd. I think it's talking about the quantity of the demands that were being put on them. And to me, this shows that the Lord practiced what he preached. He said in Matthew 6 and 33, But seek ye first. The kingdom of God. Do you need another microphone? His righteousness. There we go. All right. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, Jesus didn't just preach seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus sought first the kingdom of God. Here they were. I'm going to tell you, he was human like everybody else. His apostles were certainly human like everybody else. But they were spending every free moment helping others to the point they didn't have time to stop and eat. But Jesus was trying to let everybody know, you're more important to me than my own physical needs. Well, oh, it's just way too quiet in here this morning. You know, I, now, now, now look, this happened, if we're going to take Mark, at least chapter 3 chronologically, he has just called these men. We just finished going through it. He just called these men. And the first assignment, they're so busy they don't even have time to stop and eat. I just got a feeling they were human. I just got a feeling that somebody in that crowd at the very least, Judas, but probably impetuous Simon. Somebody saying, and what have we got ourselves into? I mean, this guy is a slave driver. We don't even get a lunch break, let alone our 15 minutes, you know, that, that OSHA requires or whatever. We, 
We, we, we're getting nothing. I mean, this guy is, the demands he's put, dear God, is it going to be like this every day? You don't think they thought those things? You don't think those, those things were going through their mind? Here we are, we don't even have time to stop. I need, this one needs prayer, and this one needs prayer. This one needs counsel, and this one. I had a few days like that. But Jesus wanted from day one to instill in these men. You've got to get a servant's heart. You've got to learn to put others before yourself. I promise you there were times, there were times that Jesus said to his disciples, come ye apart and rest for a while. He knew the human body can only take so much. He's the one that created us. He understands we've got to have a break once in a while. He understands that. In fact, that's why he created the Sabbath day for that very reason. He didn't want us driving ourselves all day, every day. He didn't want us relaxing all day, every day either, but, but he did. There were times that he, he I mean, that's, that's a quote from the scripture. Come ye apart and rest for a while. And somebody said, if we don't come apart and rest once in a while, we'll just come apart. The Lord knew that, but I'm just telling you, he wanted to instill in them from the very first day, the very first assignment, he wanted to put it in them. Look, boys, our job is to take care of others. We are going to expend everything we've got to see to the needs of those that come to us. And so that's what he did. Now, look at what happens. Verse 21. And when his friends heard of it. And when his friends, we're, we're waiting here for Mark 3 and 21. Praise God. Mark 3 and 21. There we go. Mark 3 and 21. And when his friends heard of it, they, they rejoiced and said, man, this guy's really great. Boy, he's doing a good work for God. That's not what happened. What happened? They went out, to, they lay went out to lay hold on him for they said because they said he is, beside, he is beside himself. People don't do this. He is becoming an extremist. He is starting a cult. Hello? Look, the term friends in the Greek means those near him or those nearest to him. It really goes beyond just acquaintances, but could even include his own family. Now, since it was these disciples that were doing this with him, they're not the ones that are making this statement. But the others are. One commentator said it was his relatives and his friends, the ones that were from his hometown the ones who thought they knew him best, when they heard of it, when they heard of what? And when his friends heard of it, heard of what? Or what the verse before it just said. When his friends heard that he wasn't even taking time to stop and eat, they said, we better go save himself from himself. We better go get him out of this. He is just going over the edge. He's going off the deep end here. There's no reason to get this sold out to anything. Hello? 
You ever had friends make those kinds of statements? You know, you don't have to do it. That. I mean, you know, show up once in a while, uh, read a verse of scripture when you think about it, and, you know, do your best. That's really all God expects. Just, just try to get along and be a good person, and, but don't go to the extremes. I, 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 had a, I had a man that was just starting out as a preacher many, many years ago who told me that he had another preacher pull him aside and tell him, look, you're fasting too much, you're praying too much, you're going to end up going off the deep end. Well, that's what happened to Jesus. In fact, to lay hold on him, they went out to lay hold on him. That literally means to take possession of him to restrain him, to seize him. They went out with the intention, we're going to grab this guy and drag him out of here. Why? They said he is beside himself. That means to be crazy. Look at this. The people he had grown up with, the people he considered friends, were saying this man has gone stark raving mad and if we don't do something, he's going to hurt himself. Let me just tell you something, saints of God. When you decide to sell out to God, when you decide to give it everything, don't expect everyone to applaud your decision. Another translation says when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. Another one says when Jesus' family heard what he was doing, they thought he was crazy and went to get him under control. The Reagan Revised Version Reagan revised, expanded, and highly opinionated version. Would read when those closest to Jesus heard how he spent all his time ministering to others, they went out to stop him because they thought he must be crazy for denying himself and putting everyone else first. I'm going to tell you something. You do what you feel like God is wanting you to do and shut off the voices of those that want to discourage you from it. I, I've seen it time and again. I've seen people start trying to make changes, start trying to turn around, and somebody, usually somebody closest that can hurt the deepest, will say, but look at you. You're doing this. You know that's not right. Look at you're doing this. You know that's not right. And all they're doing is trying to heap enough condemnation on you to get you to back down from what you are doing right. That's what they want. I'm telling you, here's the problem, and here's why they do it. Because they felt condemned. They knew deep down in their heart that what Jesus was doing was the ultimate in servitude, but they knew that put them to shame, and they didn't like feeling the guilt, and they didn't like feeling the condemnation, and so the only way they were going to feel better about themselves is to get him to stop showing how bad they were. Don't fall for it. You hear me? Don't fall for it. You keep doing what you know is right. You keep plodding along. Are you perfect? No, none of us are. Do you still have things that need to be changed? Yes, absolutely. But you're not going to make the change if you start backing down from the stands you've already taken. Don't let anybody dissuade you or, or discourage you. Paul said this in Galatians 1 and 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now look, Paul's not saying 
it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. But he is saying what matters most is what God thinks. And we can't spend our lives trying to please people. I'm going to tell you, church, it's, you know, even, even in trying to pastor a church, we can't please everybody. For some people, the PA is too loud. For others, it's not loud enough. For some people, the music's too modern. For others, it's not modern enough. For some folks, it's too hot in here. For others, it's too cold. There is no way possible to please everybody. So what you've got to do is try to please God. Now, we do have some obligations to our brothers, and Paul said if, it's, if you know it's going to offend them, if you know it's going to cause them to stumble, don't. that's a different story. But I'm just talking about when you start living your life trying to make everybody else happy, all they're going to do is drag you down to their level. So you put God first, and you start seeking God, and you start doing what God wants you to do, and God will work out all the rest of it. Because I'm going to tell you what, what's probably going to happen now you hear me. What's probably going to happen, if you keep plodding on and you keep making changes and you keep standing your ground, one of two things is going to happen. You hear me. It may take a while, but one of two things will happen. Either they're going to recognize you're not changing and they'll stop it. Or they're going to join you. Well, hallelujah. So I'm telling you now, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't listen to the voices of those that want to drag you back down into the mud pit they're in. Don't go there. Listen to me. If somebody you love is going down in quicksand, you're not going to save them by getting in that quicksand with them. The only way you're going to save them is if you're standing on solid ground. And there will come a time that they're going to recognize, I need help. I can't get out of this pit on my own. I'm telling you, God may let them sink deeper and deeper and deeper. But at some point, if you'll just stand on solid ground, there's a good chance they're going to reach their hand up and say, please help me out of this. And I'm going to tell you when they do, they're going to look at you. You hear me? I'm speaking to you in the Holy Ghost right now. When that happens, they're going to look at you with tears running down their cheeks. And they're going to say to you, thank you for not giving up. Thank you for not letting me discourage you. Thank you for not letting me destroy you. Let's lift our hands. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. Come on, let's lift our hands. Let's lift our hands. Let's talk to the Lord. God, I want to just listen to your voice. There are too many other voices out there in the world. There are too many other folks saying other things. I want to hear your voice, God, because you'll never steer me wrong. You'll never steer me wrong. Why don't we all come? It's time to close, but let's all come and stand around the front. Let's just